Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. I want to welcome those online. Good to see you all out there and uh, good to be able to connect with you. Leave a comment for us and uh, that you were here today. And uh, we hope to see you soon, live and in person. Well, this morning, we continue our series called Be the House. And some of you are saying, you know, I've heard enough about that. Let's talk about something else. And we will eventually, but it is so important that we understand our role. Just like a house is just the place to meet and for relationships to grow, right? I mean, it's the place where you can have your greatest influence as you disciple your your kids and as you share with each other. A house is that venue, and we want to be that in our lives as the Holy Spirit fills us, and we're able to share that with others that we come in contact with. Today, if we're going to be the house, we need a pastor. We need a pastor, and so because we preach the whole Word of God, And because we don't skip over things, today we're going to talk about the pastor. Now today, I have the honor and privilege of having served here for 13 years this Sunday. So praise the Lord that I've had that opportunity. Um, It is a tremendous honor. You should get the applause, actually. Um, Every time I come here, I'm, I'm amazed that I get to do this. That I get to walk with you. I get to hear your stories. I get to grieve with you. I get to celebrate with you. And I get to see Jesus raising you up. And I get to see people develop. People take on new tasks, new roles, and see God work through this church, this body. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience. And Julie and I love the privilege that we've enjoyed for the last 13 years. And uh, we hope for another 57, I think, which would make us an even 70. We're grateful for that, seriously. Thank you for that. And thank you for for the joy that we get to have as we walk this journey together. Um, But in Ezra chapter 7, we see the portrait of a pastor. We see the portrait of the one that God sends out to have his people take the next step. The first six chapters of Ezra, we see the people returning from exile. We see the people coming back to reestablish worship in the temple, to rebuild the temple, and to rebuild Jerusalem. And they've done that at this point. They've come back. They've reestablished worship. Now they need a leader. Someone to reinstate the Word of God in their lives and to help them be what God called them to be, to be the people that display the greatness of God. And that's what's happening in Ezra chapter 7. See, a pastor is an influence. He should be your spiritual influence in your life. What qualifies someone to be an influence in your life? Do you do a vetting of those people? I mean, if you're a social media person, you get more of what you liked, right? You know, that's how the algorithm is built, Facebook and TikTok and all those. They build the the algorithm so that stuff that you watch, you watch more of. So if you like kitten videos, surprisingly, you're going to get more kitten videos, right? And that's how it all works. And if we're not careful, all that we get, and this is actually true in life, not just social media, is more of what we believe. 
and we really don't get other viewpoints. And we have to be careful that we're not just getting unvetted opinion, but that we're actually getting influence in our life that is, that is godly. We need to be very careful about who gives influence in our lives. We need to be intentional. Actually, on social media, if you search different things that you normally see, you'll start seeing different things. And in our lives, if we open our ears to influences that maybe have been vetted, we'll start to be influenced by influence. We'll start to be influences by influence. I can't talk. We have to be influ- After 13 years, I run out of ability to speak. Um, start to be influenced by different things. Today, I want us to look at the portrait of a pastor, and I want you to consider who's influencing you and who has influenced you, and do you need to make some adjustments, or maybe you need to take more in. So Ezra chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, says this, Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and this is right after the time of Esther, incidentally, um, Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Hetub, the son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of Zerahi, son of Uzi, son of Buckeye, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. Everybody get that? That's all we needed to know, right? I know what you're thinking. Why did we just read a list of names? I don't know any of those people. I don't know know anybody named that. What's the purpose of this in the Bible? We've talked about this before. There's a reason why the names are there that are really hard to pronounce. There's a reason that he has this line in here. Because the last name on that list is Aaron. Aaron, brother of Moses. Aaron, the first first, uh, chief priest. And you see what happens here is that this line proves what would, be, what would be equivalent to the testimony of Ezra. See, every pastor needs to have a testimony, amen? Yeah. Every church member does too. But in this day, your testimony really was your line to a large degree. Because if you weren't in the line of Abraham, you weren't a Jew. Now, there were a few proselytes, but in generally, you just didn't have, you had to show a, a, a line to Abraham to be a Jew to be one of God's people. And so here's what he's saying. The the author here is saying, probably Ezra, saying, I come from Aaron, who was the brother of Moses. I am a Jew. That's my testimony. I'm in the line. I'm one of God's people. Uh, Today, we would say this. What did Paul say? There is no longer Greek nor Jew or, or barbarian. There is only those who have received Jesus Christ. See, Jesus came to open the door to all of us, to get to be his children. He's the one that is our testimony today. See, our testimony today should be something like this. You know, at nine years old, I listened to Pastor Robert Oldham share the Bible, share the holy, holy scripture, share the plan of salvation. As a result of what my parents, Gwen and Bill Thomas, did, I was ready to receive that word, and I was saved as I responded to the invitation of Jesus Christ back in January 1971. You see, there are names attached to that, incidentally, because we're not in the line of an ethnicity. We're in a line of believers, right? 
Jesus said to his disciples, you need to go and make other disciples of all kinds of people. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you are there as a result of those disciples who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples. So we should be able to go back and say, this is my testimony. Jesus saved me, and he used these people to do it. See, a pastor needs to have a testimony, just like you do. But a pastor also needs to have a call. Needs to have a call on his life to preach the word of God, to lead God's people. And because Ezra comes from the line of Aaron, those were the line of priests. So if you were a son of Aaron, you were in line to be a priest. For us, it would be that God got a hold of you and said, I want you to lead my people. I want you to be my pastor, to lead the people. Happened to me when I was 39 years old, really old. And uh, I know you're looking at me thinking, man, how old is this guy? Um, I'm a regular guy, God. I just want to, I want to be a, a deacon. I want to be a Bible study teacher. I want to do all these things in a church, but I just want to have a job and, and be like, like you guys, like normal people. Instead, God called me to be very abnormal. That's what pastors are. They're very abnormal people. I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me into ministry. And so I did. I followed him. That was my call. So a pastor should have a testimony a pastor should have a call on his life. Some of you may be thinking, you know, why are you telling us this? We're here. We're already listening to you. What more do you want, right? Here, here's the thing. Many of you will be, have many pastors in your life. You young people will go off to college or you'll move away. Some of you will move away. Uh, I could be killed. Or you may outlive me and outlast me. There'll be a time you'll have to choose a pastor. Some of you are looking for a church. And you're wondering what a pastor should be like. That's why we want to spend some time today understanding what this is what a pastor should be. No one's perfect. We all have issues. And, um, but this is the outline of what a pastor should be like. So a pastor should have a testimony. Secondly, a pastor should have a resume. Should have done something. Almost no one gets hired without a resume today, or at least an application or something on LinkedIn, right? You don't just walk in and get a job. There has to, you have to have done something. You have to have overcome the conundrum of not having any experience but needing experience, right? You have to have done something. I was at a church uh, many years ago that a uh, pastor faked his resume. And guess what? People found out. Local paper found out. He got fired. Pastor needs to have a resume, needs to be a legitimate resume. Uh, it says in Ezra 6, uh, 7, 6 through 10, it says, Ezra went up from Babylonia, and this is his qualifications. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. What a statement. A lot in that verse, right? First of all, it says that Ezra went up from Babylonia and he was a scribe. Now that word scribe means a couple of things, but at this time, a lot of extra biblical evidence says that this scribe, this word scribe at this time in the reign uh, of the king, this scribe meant that you had a role in government. He was like the secretary of Jewish affairs. 
he had some kind of a role in the government. They had scribes that were very good at what they did, that were very well educated. He was a scribe at the law, skilled in the law of Moses. And so here's Ezra, a priest, raised to know the word of God, and he winds up in the, some role of government that would connect him with the Jewish people. Really interesting, isn't it? Uh, he had a resume that he had, he had the ability even to work in the government. But he also, the king had granted him all that he asked. The king had granted him all that he asked because the hand of the Lord was on him. Imagine the king, the ruler of the nation, the president, the prime minister, the queen, the king, whoever has granted him all that he asked. He not only worked in the government, he had a huge favor in the government. And we'll get back to that in just a moment. Then in verse 7 and 8, it says that he went up to Jerusalem and a lot of people went with him. And they made this journey in four months, which is about 900 miles. And all of these people arrived in Jerusalem. It shows that Ezra was a leader. People would follow him. And when you think about a pastor, you need to have someone who has led something at some point. Because being a pastor means that not only you have to love and care for the people, you also have to preach the word. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you also have to be able to lead people. You also have to set vision, set goals. This is what we're doing. This is where we're going. So Ezra was a leader. Then in verse 10, and I think I missed putting it up there, but verse 10 of chapter 7 is so important. It is really the heart of this. It says this, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra had set his heart. So he set his heart to study the word of God. It was important to him. It wasn't just a passing thing. It wasn't just a hobby. This was something that he spent a significant part of his life, of his day, studying, talking, learning, uh, communicating with other people about the word of God. It was central to who he was. He set his heart to study the word of God. Most pastors today, there's, there's so much opportunity to get training, to go to seminary, to leave where you are, to go to a place to study with the men and women of God who are well-versed in the original languages and, and all the history, and to learn what God's Word really is all about, and to come away with just a rich and great experience of what it means to teach and preach the Word of God. I'm so grateful that I got to go to one of our Southern Baptist seminaries and be a part of that community and to learn and grow and develop studying God's Word. To know that uh, we support the cooperative program that also supports our seminaries, it supports the training of men and women to be teachers and preachers of the Word of God. Grateful for that. So he studied the Word, and you know what else he did? He kept it or practiced it. See, a preacher, a pastor should be able, should look at his life and say, well, that lines up with God's Word. Not that he's perfect. Ezra wasn't perfect. And if you know pastors very well, you know we're not perfect. We're far from it. But the life in general lined up with God's word. And as we say here so often, he lived a repentant life, a life that conformed to the word of God. You could tell by his children, by his wife, by his family, this is someone who is a follower of Jesus and is putting the word into practice, into practice. But not only that, he'd like to teach it. Some people like to get a lot of knowledge. 
Some people like to get it for themselves, but this is a guy, and I'm grateful for the teachers in our church. We have so many good ones. So I want to teach it because I want the, the people of Israel to benefit from the Word of God. They've gotten so far away from it. I want to, I want to reestablish it in their lives, and I, I want them to understand what it means to be the people of God. I want them to understand what it means to be the house. So Ezra studied, he practiced, and he taught the Word of God to God's people. Absolutely foundational for a pastor. If you can't teach and preach and keep the Word of God, you're really not qualified to lead God's people. And it's a very big standard, and it's something that, that your pastor should take very, care, very seriously and work very hard at. So he had a resume, but he also had something he, we talked to, touched on earlier, he had influence, which is really interesting. He had influence in the government. For a king that, if he could have, he would not have voted for. Let's put it that way, right? Right. He is serving in a government of a king who is a, a syncretist, a polytheist, someone who worships all kinds of other gods, all kinds of other practices that he would not have been in favor with. But he serves. So much so that the king writes this letter that says, hey, I'm sending Ezra to Jerusalem and I want, to, I want worship to happen. I want the, the temple to be beautified. I'm sending gold and silver and rams and all kinds of other sacrifices because I want God to be worshipped there. Can you imagine a government doing that for a God that the government really doesn't care that much about because of Ezra? You see, a pastor has to figure out how to be effective in the culture and the government he finds himself in. That's why you will never hear me say, I vote for this candidate or I support that candidate. If that's what you need, you need to go somewhere else. I will preach issues always. And I will challenge us to figure out, how do we raise up the name of Jesus in this time? How do we do that? When we start getting all out here on candidates and all that, we forget who Jesus is. I know what you're thinking. Well, would this candidate love Jesus more than that one? Listen, I don't know about that. Maybe he does. But I want you to know I'm never going to let a candidate overshadow Jesus, ever. We have to be faithful people. Let me tell you, we're about to enter into what I believe is going to be a time of persecution. We've got to be the church. We've got to lift up Jesus Christ. We've got to be known for that. And we also need to be a little bit excited because in persecution, the church thrives. It absolutely does. Don't miss that. The pastor, a preacher, has to be able to function in the culture and in the government he finds himself in. He needs to work very hard at that. He needs to be effective in that. But also, there's a verse that stunned me, verse 23. And remember, this is a pagan king. Look at verse 23. The king is still speaking. He says, Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of of the God of heaven, and look at the rest of this last phrase, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. I don't hear much about the wrath of God, do you? I, I, don't, I just don't. I don't hear many people talking about the wrath of God. I don't think our culture, our government, our system is afraid of the wrath of God at all. Afraid of everything else. Afraid of COVID, afraid of all these other things, real threats, but I don't think people are afraid of the wrath of God. It should give us pause. 
what are we representing if people aren't afraid of the wrath of God? Do, do we think there's wrath of God? If you believe the Bible, you read Revelation, the wrath of God is coming. It's severe. It's overwhelming. It's all victorious. But sometimes Christians in the past have presented the wrath of God in such a way that make people hate them. People don't like it. You see, Ezra had the ability to represent the wrath of God in a way that made Artaxerxes want to do something about it. That's a powerful, powerful thing for a leader to be able to do. Probably when something like this, hey, Artaxerxes, I know you don't believe, but let me just tell you, you guys have conquered God's people. You've brought them into exile, and let me tell you what's about to happen. God's wrath is going to come on you at some point. I would rather not have it happen on you, but unless you repent, it's not going to happen. And so in a way, Artaxerxes is not, not repenting, but he's trying to pay God off, right? Hey, here's some gold, here's some silver, you go do this. But the overwhelming thing you have to see about Ezra is he was able to present the wrath of God in a way that actually had a positive result. We need to understand people, if we care about people, to let them know the wrath of God is coming. There is judgment. Not everybody goes to heaven. Only those who respond to Jesus Christ and are under the blood of Jesus. So Ezra had influence, even while making the wrath of God known. That's what a pastor has to seek to do. And then I think the last thing, part of this portrait, to me that's the hardest, I'll just tell you, as pastors, he gives credit to God. It shouldn't be, but I have to tell you, just self-disclosure, at times, I don't know, you probably never experienced this, but sometimes preachers can be prideful. I'm sorry if I've been prideful to you, I just need to tell you, but we can be prideful. We can take credit for stuff we shouldn't take credit for. Look what Ezra does here. I love this. Um, verse 27, 28. He says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king. God put this into the heart of the king. Even though Ezra had probably incidentally written this letter. Just, just saying. Um, God put it in the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors, before all the king's mighty officers, I took courage, and get this, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. And I gathered men from Israel to go up with me. The hand, the hand of God was on me. Hey, look, whatever's happened in this church that glorifies Jesus is the work of God. Your pastor, your past pastors, I hope that we've given him all the glory right? You need a pastor, but it's God that does the work. And what you're looking for is a pastor who would say, you know what? It's God, not me. I need to be faithful. And Ezra is faithful, but he gives God all the glory. Church people, church leaders, pastors, we just, we struggle with this. And so we need to all be praying about this constantly. God, it's you. It's you that gives glory. If I did anything that helped anybody get close to you, it's because your hand was on me. And you may say, well, Steve, I, I don't know. What does that mean to me? I mean, can I? Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within you, God's hand is on you. The only question is, will you respond to it? 
Will you respond to God's hand prompting you and moving you to be the house and allowing people to experience the one true God? That's the only question. God's hand is on you. You say, well, you know, I've been far from him. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, God's hand is on you. You just need to make sure that you're not in the way, taking credit. Well, you know, I'm a really good person. I've been good for a long time. Praise God. Good parents. God's lucky to have me. I don't know what he'd do without me. Things just fall apart without me. Let me tell you, God can replace you just like that. He replaced me. You know, there's something really freeing as well, saying, God, we pray this a lot on Sunday morning, saying, God, if you don't do it, nothing's going to happen of value. All the talent in the world is not going to make any difference. As a church, we've been here 109 years by the grace of God. It's him we're looking for. So pastors like Ezra give God the credit for what he's accomplished. So let me ask you today, who's influencing you? Who is influencing you today? Have you been intentional about that? Have you considered who is influencing my daily life, my heart, my soul? Is it a pastor that's faithful? Are there other leaders in your life that are also influencing you like a pastor does? Do they have a record? Do they have a resume? Do they have a testimony? Do they have influence? Are they giving God all the glory? It makes a huge difference in our lives when we have those kind of people in our lives. That's what a pastor is supposed to be. Now, some of you have been hurt pastor did something, disappointed you, maybe recently, maybe a long time ago, and you kind of carry those scars around with you, I want to encourage you, forgive that pastor. Don't let that be a burden on you. All pastors make mistakes. As I said before, none of us are normal. Um, But don't let what somebody did in the past prevent you from being able to influence of the present and the future. If I've disappointed you, if I've hurt you, I'm sorry. I want you to know. Our goal here is to glorify Jesus Christ. None of us are perfect. So this morning, are you under the influence of a pastor? Do you let that pastor into your life? Do you let the word permeate your life through your pastor? And do you respond well when you get irritated by something he preaches from God's Word. If you never received Jesus Christ, that's what your pastor's for. You see, really the goal of Ezra was to prepare the people for Jesus. And really there's a ton of similarities between Ezra and Jesus. He had the, he had the, um, he had the heritage. Jesus had the heritage, right? He had the resume. Jesus uh, was, had, a, had a resume of things that he'd accomplished by the time he got to the cross. He led people. He knew the word of God, didn't he? He used it every time he talked to anybody, pretty much. He gave God all the glory. And where Ezra had the favor of the king, and he used the the resources of the kingdom to bring God glory and to to rebuild worship in the temple, Jesus used the government for something else, to be crucified which brought more glory to God than ever. 
So today, are you under his influence? Maybe you need to receive him. Maybe it never really happened. You've never really felt him. Maybe today you can have that sense that God is permeating your life and he's saying to you, would you receive me? Would you receive the gift of salvation that I want to give you? Or maybe today God may be speaking to some of you, maybe a few, and saying, you know, I want you to be a pastor. I want you to be a missionary. I want you to commit to serve me through my church. I love to talk with you. I'd love to hear what God is stirring up in you. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.